The reading is taken from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 15, which you can follow in the church Bibles or read on the screen. Moses and the burning bush. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Thank you so much, Kathy. Uh, you might want to grab a Bible if you haven't got access to one. They're on the uh, pillars and uh, turn to page 59. Uh, I will be sort of referring to uh, various verses that were in the passage we heard read to us um, or, and also uh, in the following chapter. So if you want to grab that, then that would be a good idea. And well done, Kathy, with all those ites. <laughs> There's a lot of ites in that passage, wasn't there? 
Um, This is the final uh, of our sermons in the summer series on passages that have spoken to us, and I've chosen this one, uh, and it's on the call of Moses, and I've taken uh, as my theme the theme of call or calling, the calling God puts into our lives. Um, And if you don't know me, my name's Claire, I'm one of the associate ministers here, uh, and uh, part of what I'm going to be sharing with you is the story of how I ended up standing here speaking to you this morning. So hopefully it won't bore you all to death. So let's pray in case that happens. <laughs> so Heavenly Father, Almighty God, the God who is I am, who I am, we pray that your presence will be with us this morning as we have already received your holy word. And now we share some of the thoughts that that gives rise to. So I pray that you would speak to every one of us today and that we would hear you and not just be hearers of what you say, but doers and act on it also. Amen. Now, say you were in the wilderness with only sheep for company. Rhetorical question. How much would it take to get your attention? Much? If you were going like, yeah, 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 sky, desert, odd bush, sheep, me, nothing else. I don't think it would take too much to get your attention. Any distraction, I guess, would have done sufficient to get your eye. Well, I um, just spent, a couple of weeks ago, I spent uh, five days on silent retreat in the wilderness of West Sussex. Okay, if you can call a rambling old 1930s country house um, with beautiful gardens and a lake and home-cooked food being forced down your mouth uh, three times a day at least with cake in between in case you're a bit peckish, if you can call that a wilderness, that's where I was, okay? But there were some sheep in the field next door. All right, so, so that, was, uh, that was a little bit of uh, continuity there. But mostly, it was just me and my own thoughts, actually. And I really hope and pray God's thoughts as well. But you know what? Being on silent retreat, and I mean silent, like not a word comes out of your mouth. You don't talk to anybody around you. You eat your meals in silence. You spend the days and the evenings and the nights in silence. It's actually really, really hard work. And I actually was easily um, distracted by any excuse. Squirrel! (laughs) Ant! Oh, bee. What's that plant? What's that bird I hear? Shall I have my shower now or later? I wonder when it's tea time. (laughs) Anything, anything would take my my attention. And despite all that, though, everything I read, everything I thought, everything I wrote... Everything I coloured, because I did meditative colouring, which I can highly recommend. I'd never done it before. It was great. Everything was done in the presence of God. And he, he really, really didn't need a burning bush to get my attention. But Moses, out there in the complete silence of the wilderness, without even a colouring book to keep him company, all alone, apart from the sheep, wouldn't you just think the angel of the Lord just, just have needed to do this? <coughs> to get his attention. Wouldn't you just think he'd need a little ahem? And he'd have been right there. Yes, 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 Lord. Yes, what, what? What do you want me for? But not not at all. Maybe he had some ahems. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But what it took to get his attention was this extraordinary happening. A bush, one bush, not a forest fire, 
One bush on fire, one bush not burning up, just a blaze. Moses, I will go over there and have a look at that strange sight. Why is that bush burning and it is not burning up, he says. Maybe not quite like that, okay? And then God, God calls him from within the bush. Wow. And what's more, he calls him by name. Moses. Moses. Double wow. And all Moses says is, here I am. Subtext to that is, I'm listening, I'm available. Now, my story of being called to ordained ministry is of ignoring many and repeated ahems from God. The first inkling I had was way back in 2002, and I was down at New Wine, which is the week-long Christian conference that we uh, many of us go to from here, along with thousands of others, and I was sitting in a seminar uh, entitled God and Our Work. And at that time, I was working full-time as a reception class teacher in a school up on Heatherside, Heatheridge School. I was loving it. I was also involved in developing early years education more widely across Surrey uh, with the, the advisors team there. I was also leading the monthly family service here, giving all-age talks and also doing all sorts of other things on an ad hoc basis. And also, if that wasn't enough, I was just about to embark on a two-year postgraduate master's degree in early years education. So when God's little nudge came, it went something like this. I was just sitting there listening to this chap talking about how we bring God into our workplace. And it was just a thought. And it went, I'm calling you to do more than you're doing already. (laughs) That was my response. I just laughed. You must be joking, thinks I. I haven't got a spare minute. I haven't got a spare minute, and that is so not a thought from God. So I took it, and I stuck it on the shelf marked stupid ideas. And then I moved it onto the one marked really stupid ideas, and I forgot about it. I forgot all about it. Isn't that spiritual? Didn't even pray. I just thought, oh, that's stupid. That's just me. So more of my story later, just to leave you on a cliff edge, okay? Because what I want to just talk about, discuss now for a moment, is that there are actually two types of calling from God. I don't know if you know this. There's a general calling, And there are particular callings. And I just want to look at the distinction between the two, okay? So the general calling is the one that's on all of us. That's why it's called general, okay? It doesn't refer to major generals, of which we have two in the congregation. It refers to all of us. Everybody has a calling uh, from God. And that is, the calling on all of us is to believe in God as our Lord and Saviour. And I put our trust in him and follow his way of living. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul addresses his letter to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, okay? So it was to the church in Corinth and those everywhere, that's us, called to call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. God created us to be in relationship with him created us to be set apart for him. 
So first, proper question to you today is, have you responded to his call to be in relationship with him? Have you answered him? It's not always as dramatic as a shrub on fire in the wilderness and a holy voice coming out of it. It could just be a simple little thought. There's got to be a better way to live than this. Surely there's more to life than this. There must be a reason for living. It could simply be thoughts like that going through your head. And you know what? There is a better way of living than this. There is a purpose to life. It's the way of love. The way of love, you can find life and purpose when you put your hope and your trust and your faith in Jesus. Just saying. That's where it is. That's who it is. So that's the general calling on us all to believe in God as our Father, Jesus as our Saviour, and to call on the Holy Spirit to give us what we need to live our day-to-day life. Have you answered that call? If not, if you're still umming and ahhing, please say yes to God and ask him into your life today. So that's the general calling, but the particular callings now. And the Bible's chock full of stories about particular callings. Here's a few. In the Old Testament, it wasn't just Moses who was called to be a spiritual and a political leader of his nation. His brother Aaron was called into the priesthood. Gideon was mucking about, hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat for heaven's sake, and he was called to national leadership. David was out looking after his sheep. He was just a young man when he was called. And then, of course, we've got the prophets. You can see on the screen Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, Ezekiel, called to speak God's word, to call his people back into the right way of living. And then in the New Testament, we've got Paul the Apostle, called to be a key player in taking God's message out to the non-Jews. And then maybe more pertinently to us, there are numerous instances in the Bible of God calling ordinary people, the 12 disciples for a start off. You couldn't get more ordinary than them. And then what about us? As you can see on the screen, Ephesians 4, God calls us to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers and also to exercise his gifts of serving, encouraging, giving, leading, and showing mercy. All those he equips us for, and he calls you and me too. And there are many more, which I haven't time to go into. So, God calls us to a life of general faith, and he also calls us to particular distinctive callings within that as we help to build up his kingdom on earth. So let's go back to Moses for a minute now, Exodus chapter 3, page 59, uh, and let's see what we can take from how Moses responded and what happened next. So Moses has said, here I am, I'm listening and available, and God calls him and tells him what he wants him to do, and of course Moses says, yep, I'm on it, and off he goes. Doesn't he? No. No. He raises no fewer than five objections, and we're going to have a look at those because they're quite uh, salutary. Excuse number one, chapter three, verse 11, basically what Moses is saying there is, I'm inadequate, I'm not up to the job, I can't do it. And God doesn't say, 
There, there, Moses. You are adequate. Stroke, stroke, stroke. You'll be all right. He says no. He says, tells him truth. He says in verses 11 to 12, I am the God who will be present. I'm not going to tell you how I'll be present, but it's enough that you know that I will accompany you. Okay, so it doesn't matter about you feeling inadequate. I am way more than adequate. That's excuse number one out the window. Excuse two comes in verse 13. Moses, I don't know your name. Now, I could preach an entire sermon on the importance of names and the name of God in particular, but it's enough for you to know that uh, in the Old Testament times, if you knew someone's name, you had authority over them. And also that the names of people sort of expressed a bit of their character. Okay? So Moses saying, I don't know your name, uh, was actually saying, I don't know your character. And if he had known God's name, that would have put him a step above God, as it were, in the authority hierarchy, which is not on. So God doesn't say, my name is God, which we call him now. But he gives a formula which Moses already knows, actually, and it's no name at all. He says, I am who I am, verses 15 to 16. So this name, which is no name, indicates that God is the ultimate authority, that he is the character who causes things to be. It expresses the creativity of God. And the present tense of it, I am who I am, is, uh, shows his presence in faithful ways to make impossible things possible. So there's an enormous resonance in the name of God. I am who I am. So no straight answer, but an answer there. However, Moses isn't quite satisfied with that, so he comes up with excuse three. Here we are in chapter four, verse one. Uh, Israel won't believe me and they won't listen to me. And not from God, oh, they will, you idiot. Don't be stupid. But God says in verses two to seven, you'll have resources you don't even know about until you start using them. Not convinced. So God says, okay, I'll show you. Here's what you've got at your disposal. See that staff, that stick you're carrying? Chuck it down. Moses does. Boom, turns into a snake. Great. And then he's standing looking at the snake, and then God says, grab it by the tail. Go on, go on. So actually Moses does, does it. He grabs this snake by the tail, and of course it turns straight back into being um, a staff, a stick again. So God is saying, that is the sort of thing I'll do. And then they will believe you. A sign. Sorted. No. <laughs> One more, two more to go. But are getting a bit more feeble now. Moses, I can't speak properly. I'm not quick-witted enough. So God doesn't say, it's okay, I'll make you eloquent. He starts to sound a bit fed up now. And he, he reminds Moses, who gave you your mouth in the first place? Okay, it was me, I, your creator, I will help you to speak. Just remember who I am. And finally, Moses goes too far and he's still unconvinced by anything that God has said so far or done. And he ignores the signs of God's sort of patience kind of running out a bit and he whines somewhat pathetically. Not me, send someone else. How many of us have said that, right? Send someone else. 
And he doesn't get a gentle reassurance. He gets an angry concession. Okay, okay, your brother Aaron. Chapter 4, verse 14. Your brother Aaron will act as your mouthpiece. But you, Moses, you will stay as the focal point. Now, did you work out that in all these excuses, Moses never, never states the real reason? And the real reason is he's scared. He's scared. He's scared of the disruption to his peaceful sheep herding life that he's used to and comfortable with. And he's scared of the danger he'll end up in. He knows if he goes up against Pharaoh back in Egypt and asks to take the million or so Israelites out of the promised land. Physical danger. He is scared. But God simply overrides and dismisses all his fears. God's call and God's will will prevail. He will prevail. Now, going back to me for a moment, for about two years after I heard that first thought where I rudely laughed at God and stuck it on the really stupid idea shelf, I had, as I said, forgotten. But you know what? God hadn't forgotten. Okay? Oh, no. And drastic measures were needed to get my attention. Uh, So here's my burning bush story. In 2004, my husband was a senior officer in the British Army, a senior dental surgeon, actually. And I was still really happy in my job teaching the reception class. I was partway through my master's studies. We'd just bought a house and decided to settle here. Life was really, really good. But then came the bombshell. Steve would get his much-hoped-for promotion only if we moved to northern Germany. I was actually really, really heartbroken. I had to leave my job I loved. I had to pack in my studies. We'd only been in our house a year, less than a year, I think, before we got the news. Leave my first real proper home after living in rented accommodation for many years. But we went, and I had no choice, did we? We had to go, so off we went in 2004 summer. I did get a job teaching in an army school about 20 miles away from where we lived, but the job went pear-shaped and belly up, and it was awful. Our house, where we were were given, because Steve was so senior, it was some distance from anybody else's houses, so we had no near neighbours to get to know, and I was obviously working miles away, so I didn't really see anybody day to day, and we didn't know anybody around us. And we went to this small garrison church, and they had all the jobs in it sewn up, and we didn't have anything to do. So all we did was show up on a Sunday and go home again. And we were really isolated and we were really lonely and everything was stripped away. But eventually, God reminded me of what he'd said to me. And he, said, he reminded me, he said, I'm calling you. And because he'd stripped everything away, I listened. And I'm not going to give you the rest of the story. I could bore you for an hour or so about that. But eventually, I was utterly staggered to realise that God was calling me, or might be calling me, to ordained ministry in the Church of England. Even then, I carried out a pointless, one-sided conversation over another couple of years as I explored the options open to me, uh, along the lines of, I don't know enough, why me, how could it be me, I can't, we can't afford it, uh, what, what, when, how, no, please, anybody else, not me, and God did prevail, as you see, because I'm stood here. 
I gave in, and of course, I wish I'd known. It was the only possible outcome from the start, and I am so, so grateful to God for that. So the common themes to all calling stories in the Bible and out of it are, are, are these, that God's overpowering authority will be apparent, that we humans will feel unworthy to answer his call, God will overcome our resistance, and sometimes, but not in my case, but sometimes, there's a confirming sign. Okay, so those are the things. And if those are going on in your life, maybe you should be thinking and listening at this point. Because I want to get real now, and I want to say, what about you? What's your calling story? Have you got one yet? Even if you've answered God's general call, Have you answered his particular call? Have you found out what it is yet? It's a real exciting journey. And you know what? Moses, we reckon, was about in his uh, 70s or 80s when he was called. So being old is no excuse. And Samuel was a little boy. So being young is no excuse either. And everything in between. So what's your calling story? While I was on retreat, I read this great book, highly recommend it, Vanishing Grace by Philip Yancey. It's the follow-up to one he did a few years ago, which was called What's So Amazing About Grace. And what this uh, book, in this book he argues about that we've got so hung up on doing church stuff, on looking after ourselves and our buildings, on having arguments about theology and biblical interpretation, we have forgotten what being church looks like. And he gives this striking example of the disciples at the end of Jesus' ministry on earth. And they're standing with him on the mountaintop just before he ascends into heaven. And he gives them the great commission, tells them to go and make disciples in all the world. And then he goes off up out of their sight. And do they dash off straightway back to Jerusalem and get on with what he's just told them to do? Do they, heck? They stand there looking at the sky gawping and then an angel comes and he says oh why are you looking at the sky why are you standing there looking at the sky didn't jesus just tell you to get moving well go and get on with it are we comfortably getting on with our lives so called standing looking at the sky instead of getting on with what god is calling us to do the thing is He's entrusted his mission to his church, us, on earth. And it's up to us to carry out what he has entrusted with us to do through his Holy Spirit. What a privilege. Ordinary people like you and me, with all our faults, God has a role for us. Please, let's not stand around looking at the sky instead of getting on with it. You know, some of you may be being called to be ordained right now. If God can call Tom and Daniel and me, then boy, he can call anybody. We're nothing special. Okay? If God's speaking to you about that or has been, then please don't let it sit anymore. We should have a constant stream in this church of people going forward for trained ministry. Maybe not ordained, maybe licensed lay minister like Liz and Simon and Tim and Jeff. We should have a constant flow of people doing that. We've got nobody right now. 
church this size, there must be somebody God's calling. And there's a whole load of literature on the table outside to pick up on your way out. If you just think there might be something in this uh, for you. Please don't listen to your thoughts, your fears, like I did for so long. Wasted all that time. Just take it a step forward. Stop saying no. Start saying yes. But of course, of course, having a vocation isn't, or calling isn't just about you know someone who ends up being a, a minister or a vicar or a, a licensed lay minister or whatever. You don't need training for all that God calls us to do. He's going to be calling some of you here now to work with the children, to work with the seniors, to work with the young people, to work in administration or organisation or communication, to be helping the sick, to be going out to the poor to be speaking his word, to be teaching and leading and encouraging, to be discipling and mentoring. Oh, I could go on and on what he might be calling us to. Some of you will have done the Finding Your Place course earlier this year, uh, which we did in May. Maybe God started speaking to you then and you haven't done anything about it now. Please don't leave it any longer. Again, out on the table, I've put down some copies of a handout that Tom made for that course about the ways that you can serve within St. Paul's and out of it. Please stop hanging around, looking at the sky, say yes and get on with it. Because our job, I'm coming into land now, our job, says God, is to show the world another way, a better way, the way of love to live. To be a breath of fresh air, to spread the message of God's unending love for everyone. We have been standing around staring at the sky for far too long in this church. With honourable exceptions. Wake up. Wake up, church. If we want to bring the vision that God is sharing with us at the moment that we're developing, and we'll tell you more about in a couple of months, if we want to bring that vision into life and being, we've got to wake up. We've got to answer his call. We've got to say yes to God. And we've got to get going. Whether it be here or elsewhere or wherever. So I'm going to leave a time of silence now for you to say to God, are you calling me? Or just to acknowledge to him that he is. And then I'll pray. And then we'll continue with the service. So a moment of time of silence. God, you call each one of us by name. You call us to a life of service, of love, of relationship with you. Each one of us, you call us to put our faith and trust in Jesus. And once again, or for the first time, we say to you, Lord, we're sorry for the way that we have ignored that call, for ignoring you, for keeping you out of our lives. 
And we ask, Lord Jesus, through your Holy Spirit, that you will come and live in us. Fill us for the first time, or fill us afresh. And Lord, if you are calling any of us to particular ways to be your person on earth, help us to be open to put our fears in perspective and to say yes. Lord, on behalf of us this morning as a body of Christ, St. Paul's says yes to you, to your glory and in your name. Amen.